Hello, everyone, and welcome to Call Your Hits, a Stormriders Airsoft podcast. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Today is going to be our last episode of 2022. We're recording this just before uh, the Christmas holiday break, and uh, we're going to take a couple of weeks off uh, to just uh, enjoy time with our, our friends and family, and we'll be back uh, in the first week of the new year, 2023. So today, we thought we'd do a little bit of a retrospective on the year that was in terms of Airsoft. Uh, a bit of a mixed bag. We're going to answer a couple of different questions. Some questions that I saw on the Discord as well that I thought were that I thought were interesting. Uh, make for a good conversation, and just generally have a have a chat. So before we dive in too too much, I wanted to just uh, quickly give one final update. I said I know that last time I said it was the final update, but this is going to really be the final update. <laughs> the final final update. <laughs> <laughs> on uh, Bill C-21 for 2022. Um, the committee is in recess for the holidays now, and there has been no additional information put out there about Airsoft specifically. And the reason I bring this up is because there was uh, one of the um, largest Canadian Airsoft YouTubers, House Gamers, recently put out a video talking about what C-21 means for Airsoft, but that video doesn't actually contain any new information on the bill itself, because none of the amendments that are going to be proposed relating to Airsoft have been made public, and none of those amendments have been discussed yet. Now, he makes a lot of interesting points about the bill itself and whether parts of it make sense or don't make sense, which we're not really going to get into. And to be clear, I don't have any beef or anything like that. That's not the intent. But there is no new information out there, so we anything that we say about airsoft at this particular juncture is going to be a lot of speculation um aside from the point that he makes about 3d printing and so on and so forth so uh while i would certainly encourage you to listen for my money it's still not sky's falling territory because nothing really new on airsoft is out there and we're not expecting to hear anything new uh until well into the new year uh, as the committee starts going through the uh, the amendments uh, as um, as their table so the update is no update <laughs> yeah exactly and like i think in the house gamers video he was extremely concerned about the future of airsoft and that is still the same concern that we would share if there were no changes meaningful changes to airsoft in the amendments we just don't know what that's uh, if that's going to be the case. And based on what we heard from the people who participated, uh, we do expect that there will be some amendments that are consequential. So stay tuned, don't freak out, uh, and uh, we'll have more information on that in the new year. So that's that. Um, I wanted to take some time now to just reflect on 2022. You know, at the start of the year, Pat and I set ourselves some goals uh, with respect to, you know, personal goals and airsofts and stuff like that. And uh, a few episodes ago, we had a conversation about how we were doing to those goals. And I'm proud to say that one of my goals was to play 12 games uh, of airsoft in 2022. And, you know, look at that. I played 12 games of airsoft in, uh, in 2022. And... 
the last one involved a little bit of skating practice, but you know, what can you do? Yeah, the last one was a little bit dicey. And I think it was a really good reminder of why we tend to park Airsoft outside um, during the winter months, because it does get dicey, does get slippery. Pat slipped and fell. Um, I almost slipped and fell. So Hint for the audience, Pat can't actually skate. (laughs) Yeah, nor were we wearing skates. I think, uh, um, not Evan, excuse me, Stefan actually slipped and fell too behind a piece of cover at some point. Uh, So overall, I mean, we had a great day, don't get us wrong, and none of us were seriously injured but uh, it's just, still not just a couple ideal. of uh, spills for comedic effect right <laughs> yeah totally and you know without getting too um back in my day about it you know we are getting older and injuries are take longer to recover from at our age than they do uh when we were younger i know i myself hurt a rib at that game and i'm still sort of on the mend from that so all this to say um it was a good uh, a, a good last game of the season a good way to close it out um but looking back on the year of airsoft that was i think there was a lot of new things i that that happened this year and you can't always say that i mean of course you're not always going to say that either i mean we've been playing airsoft for a really long time so how many years of airsoft are going to be innovative right it's not obviously not going to be all of them we are very old and jaded <laughs> yeah um but this year there were a couple of new things right a couple of couple of new things that we tried a couple of new things that that happened uh not least of which would be um pat's descent into hpa madness i think would, would me probably... yelling more hpa every five minutes was definitely new <laughs> yeah yeah and it, like the hpa plus the the, the you know the, the magnified optic or the lpvo like that was a new experience well certainly for me but it was a new experience for you as well right yeah, I mean, I had a small number of games in uh, last season with uh, HPA setup and zero with the Optic. I bought it at the end of the season, as it turned out for me last year. Uh, so both of those were really new, and I got to say, really positive. I had a lot of fun with that particular brand of Insanity. Mm-hmm. And it added another layer, I think, of things we never really experienced before, like a very quiet, long-range precision rifle. It's not something that either of us had ever really experienced as i know for me like i and i mentioned this in the podcast like how it felt like cheating you know shooting at that range with that amount of precision with a scope uh that was you know dialed in etc like it was a a complete completely new experience right <laughs> yeah it turns out that uh you know longer range airsoft guns with a actual working accurized magnified optic is really pretty good <laughs> yeah yeah I, and i know for myself too like trying out Steph's AK, wearing a Chicom. Like, that was a new experience for me as well. Um, that was not as catastrophic as I anticipated, let's say. <laughs> I was, uh, you know... I, I, Turns right, out some of these skills are cross-compatible, right? Yeah. And, and right now, like, I, I'm currently trying to do, like, an end-of-the-year video that I'm going to post to the channel at some point uh, that includes, like, a bit of a highlight reel. And I'm going through a lot of the footage. And, man, like, we played some... We played some excellent games and, you know, it prompted some things in my own thinking, but I wanted to ask this question to you, Pat, because this is some of the things that I was thinking about. Like, thinking back to your year of Airsoft, when did you feel the most competent or useful? Like, when was it that you felt that way on the field? Ah, man, that's actually a tough one. Um, In some ways, I feel like I had a really good year. Um, I know you did. That's why I'm asking. (laughs) Like in terms of in terms of uh, fun, I had a really excellent year. Mm. In terms of like competence, um, you know, lots and lots of skill development for me. 
getting to the point where I could do shoulder transitions um, with the hose took a little bit of work uh, and was definitely sort of satisfying to figure out and get, you know, um, proficient at, mm -hmm. if you will. Uh, so, yeah, that was really solid. Um, you know, there were a number of games where, <laughs> uh, let's say, the HPA system plus the optic uh, clicked. And I was just sh either suppressing people really effectively or just racking up um, a fairly silly body count um, for less effort than I kind of felt should be the case, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. um, I also really felt like my cover utilization improved over the season, uh, which is definitely something I was just rusty on from not having played as much in, you know, uh, a couple of years. The, yeah, and I would say like knowing you the way I I do as well, I would say there's a there's a the, the don't care about getting hit component is is real. Um, yeah, totally. Um, and like, um, it's it is a useful mentality sometimes and a detrimental mentality other times. <laughs> yeah, if you really don't want to get hit, typically you'll spend more time in cover than perhaps is good. And on the flip side, if you don't care about being hit, then. You know, you're just going to saunter around like you probably did more at the start and less at the end, I would say yep. is probably a fair assessment. Definitely. Yeah, that uh, that plays um, to my weaknesses <laughs> to some extent. You know, it's like eh. um, I had a couple of games where the LMG was actually working, where I was sort of just like uh, rock and rolling over under the fire that I could lay down and not really being super concerned about what other people were doing. And that was really fun mm -hmm. uh, and felt pretty effective enough. So to definitely continue to motivate me to put a HPA system in it uh, and get it really tuned. Uh, I think that'll be genuinely a lot of fun to operate. Uh, one of the things that surprised me in that regard that again, felt really good was like, apparently I can just sort of shoulder uh two, four, nine para and not care. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're a big dude. I've also been rocking really long rifles for quite a while at this point. And like the M27 is not super duper light. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I didn't really anticipate that translating, um, but it definitely resulted in a lot of entertaining play. <laughs> well, I, and I mean, just to add on to that, I think, you know, you're, you're a strong individual, like you are physically strong, right? And that coupled with your wingspan <laughs> means that the 249 para is actually, well, I mean, it's actually quite short on you, right? Fundamentally compared <laughs> to someone like myself. It's a carbine. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, it's, it's much shorter than your, 20, your M27. And like I main gun or, or like I mained your uh, 249 for several games. I was looking at some of the footage. It was not easy for me to run that gun. Right. Um, there's one video where I remember it was like myself and maybe Johnny, the two of us are like fighting on the road field or whatever. And I'm trying to stay dynamic and also have the 249. And like I'm trying to lay hate down on the field and trying to get hits. And I'm putting down like, I'm, you know, conservatively like 150, 200 rounds. And then I'm trying to peel off there and then move to another position. And like I remember, like I'm struggling with that because it's not, it's, you know, I'm not weak, but I'm also not accustomed to to huffing around a, a setup like that right so it's definitely you, a chunk for sure like you know. yeah and so you you come into the to the game with with um 
an advantage on people who are like myself, maybe with shorter, you know, smaller wingspan, et cetera, that makes it a bit less wieldy, right? For sure. Hashtag ogre life. That's um, true. You know, but like I enjoyed running that a lot uh, and more than I expected to. Like it, uh, it's taken some doing to get it to a point where it's not a piece of crap, to be completely mm -hmm. honest. Yeah. Um, like, <laughs> but uh, the outcome has definitely been, at least for me, worth poking at it and tinkering with it and spending a bit of money on it. Um, so that was satisfying and it's just sort of cool. Um, this season for me involved a lot of like culmination of me putting together stuff <laughs> between the HPA, IAR and that, uh, that resulted in a lot of fun being had. So that's aces for me. And I mean, it's it's funny, too, because this season for you, when I look at it, is like you have the ultra long boy and then you have the super heavy boy. And now you have the super short light boy in the Evo Scorpion. Yep. Um, which, again, is is another like novelty for you. Not in that yeah, it's I, a small gun because you do like small guns, but the form factor is a novelty. I mean, it's weird to me in that I haven't used anything that size in like eight years really like my affection for small guns notwithstanding like i haven't actually used them really since the p90 other than mm -hmm. like borrowing other people's for a game here and there yeah um so uh the scorpions in this weird situation were like i definitely want to put some parts into it um it needs a uh a type bore and an r-hop i think mm -hmm. yeah um, like these are things that I feel will provide me with a measurable improvement qualitatively at this point. Um, that being said, like aside from those issues, it's a pretty good little gun. Um, you know, it does shoot pretty accurately. Um, it gets pretty decent range for a stock gun. I mean, I say that like I don't, <laughs> I haven't got a whole lot of experience running a quote unquote stock HPA gun. Um, you know, uh, it needs to definitely needs to get like the optic dialed in and stuff. Um, you know, I got shot way too many times by Matt just because it's like, uh, every time he pulls the trigger, I get hit. And every time I pull the trigger, he doesn't get hit and ugh. <laughs> sadness. But, yeah. Uh, that feels bad. You know, but, uh, it was still a laugh to run the thing. Um, you know, and like, it turns out that just sort of stuffing the uh, the mags for it into my M4 mag pouches worked fine. So I don't okay. really need to buy a setup for it as such. Um, you know, I don't think I'd want to run it with that setup for like anything where I had to go prone for a serious amount of time. Um, but for like personal skills, CQB stuff, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, hoping that I can get to uh, maybe try it out at the indoor over the winter, but we'll see how... Uh, my patience for that goes. <laughs> yeah, really, hey? You know, as much as I like to uh, have, you know, holes punched in me by people's airsoft guns. <laughs> um, I think the velocity limits are perfectly reasonable at the indoor. It's just not a, not really my, my cup of tea. Like, I'll go if you want to go, but it's not really, I, I can't see myself playing there very often. But. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely going to be a... Um, I have a thing that I can go play with when I get to the point in the winter where I'm like, oh, I really want to play some airsoft. Mm -hmm. um, and that might happen. Um, but I don't see myself becoming like a regular at that particular uh, indoor field simply because, as you noted, like 
a couple episodes that go, it's not really well designed for airsoft. <laughs> yeah, like that's, it was that's right. Built for laser tag and other stuff like that, and it really shows. Yeah, no, there's no question about that. You know, like holes everywhere that in laser tag you wouldn't get hit because you don't have a sensor on your ankle or your forearm or whatever. But in airsoft, it doesn't matter. So you're just getting lit up from everywhere. So, but I mean, you know, it, it's a fun experience. It's the kind of thing you do, you know, once. And we've we've had training days in the past there as well. And you know, Cal showed off uh, some of his like um, CQB training and stuff to us. And you know, that was all fine and dandy. But it's not, you know, like you pointed out, it's not it's not going to be our main squeeze, uh, so so to speak. Yeah, definitely. Like it's it's fun once in a while. I think, you know, as I thought back to my year as well, like looking through footage from from my gameplay this year, some of the stuff that struck me of when I really felt like competent uh, or that I felt useful, like especially like looking back are times when I was being very decisive. And I say decisive because like, I remember many, many years ago and, you know, even fairly recently talking about like, oh yeah, you know, you need to be more aggressive, right? And being aggressive translated in my mind to just being faster, right? Like rush around, uh, you know, blow the door off the hinges, like fly from point A to point B, just bum rush, like all this kind of stuff. And what I found was that in the past, that was not necessarily very useful for me because you, I would overextend, get in a position where I'm like, yeah, I'm really far in, but then I get shot and then what, right? Especially like thinking around like, you know, playing around the village, et cetera. And then I, I would get shot and then I would go back into this like, oh no, I need to be like overcautious, right? It's the finding a happy medium part that's hard. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think when I look at some of the videos where I felt very competent, and one of the examples is when you're playing a, a like a, a village deathmatch, the last game that we played, like the first game of the day, right? Like I knew what I needed to do in my mind. Like it was just, I needed to execute on this plan, which was, you know, you start at the church, you run to the corner, you engage anyone you see up to the corner, you put fire down, you cross behind the old two-story, come around the back, push all the way forward to the corner of that building, shoot anyone who's by the car, move to the black building, keep shooting there, and then get to the, the building on the front. And that's what I needed to do in my mind, and I didn't really hesitate in doing that, right? So that's exactly what I executed on, and that worked out really well for me. Now, that could have worked out really poorly, right? It could have been that opponents were... Uh, in in the right place to take advantage of me doing that. But everything that happened during that game, like I was mentally, I was sort of looking in the right places, thinking about the problem in the right way. And it just ended up in a situation where we got to the end of the game. Um, or, well, I didn't realize it was the end of the game at the time. <laughs> but I, like, I got on the front building and i'm shooting oh, at the it's building over. Cool. on the corner <laughs> well exactly and so one of the there was a like that a young kid who plays i don't know what his name is but he ran by me and he saw someone's barrel and he got scared and he ran back towards me i saw the barrel too and i shot and then as soon as i had laid down you know my two three four 
20 rounds of fire or whatever it is i immediately peel back to cover to to get you know get some cover between me and um me and the thing i was shooting at and i got in the cover immediately started reloading and then the ref blew the whistle and then at that point it's at that point that i realized i had gotten everyone like i had sh- i shot all the opponent all the opposing team i remember that game i was on right? the opposing team <laughs> and like it wasn't, I, you know, I thought like, wait, hang on, something's got to be wrong or whatever. Like, hey, but Pat, was, how'd that game go for you? I'm like, you shot me and everyone else. <laughs> well, yeah. And like, I've had, I had a few games like that throughout the year where like, it's not like I, luck definitely played a factor. Don't get me wrong. Because if someone had been looking at me when I came around the corner, like they would have shot me or whatever. But I feel like being decisive at the right moments was the difference between you know, like a slow paced game or the game just taking the two minutes and 20 seconds that it took. Right. And like, I definitely see where you're coming from there. Right. Like there are a lot of games, especially um, on that field. Like there are some games that we play at frontline uh, that are very grindy. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like there's no, um, there's not a lot of finessing the D-Day field. Right. Like, yeah. You know, um, there's a thing you can do that works and almost everything else is just like, okay, let's play attrition and hope that my side has better shots. Um, The, you know, the village field allows for a lot more like, okay, I know what I need to do and I'm going to go do it and it's going to work or, you know, sometimes I'm going to get shot in the face. (laughs) Um, But I can definitely see how, you know, uh, knowing what you need to do there and then up actioning it would be really really satisfying and is really really satisfying when i pull off the same sort of thing (laughs) yeah and so i think that's when those are the moments for me that i want to replicate and it's not so much again that oh i shot everyone and i'm not trying to gloat or anything when i'm saying this it's just those are the moments that i want to replicate moments where i feel like i'm very much in control of the situation regardless of how it ends right i feel i feel like the village uh field um, has a lot of um, <laughs> moments where I feel really cool in my head um, and also moments where I feel really like in control of the tactical situation mm-hmm. um, because I am fairly confident, uh, not always justifiably, but I'm fairly confident in my uh, ability to like move around and engage targets that pop out in that sort of situation. Um, and like, Definitely, I've been better at it than I currently am, <laughs> um, as uh, Matt periodically demonstrates to me. But it's still really, really satisfying to be sort of moving around that CQB environment in a really like tight, controlled fashion um, and getting uh, getting a lot of people out. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had the same conversation with Johnny where he's like, dude, I was just on, man. Like, I moved from this point to this point, and I saw, uh, I saw an opponent, and I immediately just snapped, fired a couple shots, hit him put my rifle back on target, kept moving, saw another guy and shot him. I had that exact same experience again, like another game back in like July or whatever, where I came around the back of the church and that uh, young kid that I was just talking about, he's just standing there. His gun is like down, like by, you know, pointing at the ground or whatever. And I immediately like put, I don't know, conservatively a million shots into him. And I keep, but I'm still walking towards him. Like my, my rifle is up, I'm engaging, I'm shooting. And then out of the corner of my eye, I see a guy... Um, I haven't seen him in a while, actually. He, I think he was running like a Chris Vector and he had like cat oh, ears yeah. on his helmet or whatever. Yep. I and so ta- I don't know his name, but I know who you're talking I, about. Yeah. Like, and so I'm shooting the young kid or whatever. And I see the cat ears 
and like I see the cat ears out of the left side of my vision, I immediately snap and engage him and I shoot him too before he has a chance to turn and shoot me. And I just keep moving. Like this is all happening simultaneously. And those are the moments this for is, me. This is what flow looks like in airsoft, right? Well, exactly. And those are the moments that are like, yes, I feel competent and useful in these situations because I'm just reacting to the situation as the need dictates while still completing the, you know, the objective that I'm trying to achieve. And, you know, I've had other memorable moments that are similar um, on other fields during different things, but because the village games are so short, typically, that's when you see them in sharper relief, I guess. For sure. Uh, by way of a, a fun shout out, I also want to note a, uh, a game where I absolutely felt completely useless, uh, which was there was a village game this summer where, or not a village game, sorry, a road game, where Steph proceeded to, by himself, just murk every single player on the road, including me, walk up to the spawn, high five me, go back to his end of the field and do it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, well, um, all right. <laughs> I have never seen a player, I think, as swingy as Stefan. Like, I really think like it's some days it's just how much of it he gives. <laughs> and it's not like it's not just some days. It's like some games. Like I've been there with Steph, you know, playing a whole game or whatever. And, you know, it's not that he's a bad player or anything like that. He's just being Stefan, doing whatever, like communicating the way that we do, chatting, talking, like, you know, passing information back and forth, all of that stuff. And then at some point, something clicks in his monkey mind and he just goes off. And it's like, yeah, okay, go off, King. Like you're you're good. And he, y'all have y'all have fun homes. <laughs> yeah. And like he just dusts you. Like next thing you know, he's gone doing whatever, whether it's, you know, that, you know, last 30 second flag capture or just I I got bored and I decided to work the other team or or whatever. It's like he's operating at like 70% power and then every now and then he just bumps it up to 90. Yeah, it's just what's up Steph? I've decided to kill everyone. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> I'll just go get a sandwich then. <laughs> but you know, I think I think back to our time like um doing kendo and like martial arts with Sean, right? And Sean used to say, like, every, you know, 10,000 kicks you throw, you'll throw one that inspires you to throw 10,000 more. And those moments of, you know, flow in Airsoft, those moments that are where you feel extremely competent, in control, useful, like a really good contributor to the team effort, for me, are the ones that are like, Oh, yes, this is why I do this, right? This is why I spend time working on my personal skills. This is why I'm I'm focused on how to better my position on the field as much as possible, to think concretely about what's going on uh, on the field from a situational awareness standpoint. And although it does take a lot of effort, and we've talked on the podcast as well before, that, that puts a lot of pressure on yourself to perform. The whole reason you do all this is because every now and then you get these moments where you're just like, feeling like a total boss right for sure and i mean it's funny um as we've been talking about it, one of the things that i remember uh sort of talking about like what the m27 can do now <laughs> that it's complete mm-hmm. um you know i we had a an assimilation game in which they're like ah pat you be the assimilator your gun seems to be stupid <laughs> um I, I usually hate that game mode and i just tucked into cover 
and assimilated every player on the opposing team from long range. It was just like, yeah, okay. Well, this is what I should be doing all of the time. Mm-hmm. Did I action that for the rest of the season? No. Was it hilarious? Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's so situational too. Like that whole situation of like, from the assimilator's point of view, like fish in a barrel basically at that range. Like it doesn't happen a whole yeah, lot. It's just right? like, yeah. yeah, it's it's true. I suppose I don't get a whole lot of situations where the opposing team is like, you know, hey, if you could all stay in this confined space while I just destroy you, that would be lovely. Yeah, really, hey. <laughs> I yeah, I want to just go stand over there. <laughs> I wanted to switch switch gears a little bit because there's a couple of questions that came up in the in the Discord's like question of the day and I I thought they were both very interesting and I think would make for some cool conversation. Um I do love a good question of the day. So the first one for you Pat, what feature on an airsoft gun is a deal breaker for you? Either deal breaker if it has it or deal breaker if it does not have it. So um, the first thing that comes to mind is proprietary parts. Like if the gun you're trying to sell me on has proprietary parts and I know I'm never going to be able to upgrade parts for it or never able to replace a part if it breaks. I can't quite say it's a deal breaker like the... um, Hilariously, like the Scorpion uh, Evo does have um, a proprietary hop-up. It's a little bit hard to get a replacement part for. Um, It has a couple other things that are a little bit hard, inconvenient to get replacement parts for. Um, But like, yeah, the the example I'll use that's sort of like practical in my head is so um, pretty much every Scar variant that I'm aware of uses both some sort of fiddly thing to make the fire selectors work and some sort of proprietary hop-up. And I want nothing to do with either of those. Yep, that's legit. Um, They just both are things that have given me so much grief in the past and making them work on scars when we owned them uh, was just awful. (laughs) And I do not miss it. So now as a follow-up question for you, what do you think I answered? So I feel like your stuff is going to be a lot more about like the ergonomics and or effectiveness of the Airsoft Yun, because like I'm pretty comfortable saying I I can, you know, you, if you give me an Airsoft gun, I will make it do what I want it to do. I will give you, Um, I will give you a hint. It is, it's not a feature that it's a deal breaker if it has it, it's a deal breaker if it does not have it. See, like prior to this summer, I would have just said like it has to take M4 mags or you don't care. Um, but you did go play with an AK and That's you did true. sort of have fun. So it might not be that. Um, you know, I can't see you fielding a gun without semi. Like not for any protracted period of time. Like I think that would drive you crazy because it usually decreases the uh, accuracy. Also, yeah, that's right, kids. The amount of gun, the amount of rounds he puts down range are all on semi. Um, Unless I'm using his M249 because it doesn't have it. But well, when yeah. I'm using my own gun, it's all semi. <laughs> yes, uh, features required. Uh, man, yeah, I'm not sure what your deal breaker would be if it's not those things. Mm, it's not those things. Rails, I guess. Uh, you're t- you're thinking too, too like complicated. For me, my answer is simple. It's got to be a metal body, otherwise, I'm going to break it. Ah, uh, yeah, that's 
both a very good point because you absolutely will. <laughs> and right. um, I mostly agree. Um, the last gun that was all plastic that I owned uh, that wasn't a sidearm, and like I mean, we both run um, polymer sidearms because that's what Tokyo Marui makes as its sort of default level of product. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the last polymer gun I ran before this year was the P90. Uh, and I have not touched one. I guess the scar technically, but like it was there's a, there's a lot of metal on that. Yeah. Um, and like I would not go back to uh, to a polymer gun. And I guess the exception is yeah, the Scorpion is a polymer gun. Um, and uh, <laughs> given that I uh, uh, ate dirt uh, while uh, while carrying it, it's still in one piece. I guess it's a pretty robust gun. Um. So ten out of ten to uh, to ASG on that one, but yeah, I certainly uh, don't think you should run like a plastic M4. <laughs> no, and, and I think back to like my Famas that I really like. You know, if it was still around, like I, I'm pretty sure it would be broken by now. Like, there's no, I didn't really use it all that much, and I certainly didn't use it in that period of time from like 2008 onwards when I was starting to run my stuff, right? Like going prone all the time and like doing all that stuff. Like I didn't do that until I had my scar really. Um, yeah. I feel like the, yeah. I feel like the FAMAS um, would hold up. Okay. Like perhaps better than you'd think because um, like it is bullpup. It does have that bipod. Like it does sort of have some features that make it a little more rugged. Um, but I, just, I also know I think about from that, how like, carry handle and stuff on the top, like that was all plastic and the, the battery compartment on the other hand, which was the, the actual foregrip that was all plastic too. And I mean, I don't think you'd enjoy running a plastic. Well, gun no, right now. definitely not. Like other than again, maybe the Evo cause the Evo, I have to say the build quality is really high. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the problems with, uh, for take you guys in our, our way back machine to the dark days of airsoft where nothing worked. Um, one of the problems with like a lot of the earlier uh, plastic guns, like really plasticky guns, especially the FAMAS and uh, like the G36s when I started playing, was they were very wobbly and creaky. Like they really yeah. were not made out of high grade um, polymer. And you could tell. Yeah. <laughs> The uh, that's very true. You know the the newer stuff is definitely better. Like um, even like G and G's current sort of combat machine line. Um, you know I definitely could break one, <laughs> but like I think I'd have to go out of my way to try, uh, and I think probably so would you. Believe it or not. Um, now that's not an inducement to go do that, but like <laughs> <laughs> for you or for the audience, you know, like, um, but. I feel better about polymer guns than I do now. Like, and it's funny because I don't remember how the handling on the FAMAS felt enough to comment. I think mean, that's chiefly because like when you owned it, I wasn't really into yourself. It was just sort of like a thing I didn't know very much about that I occasionally like picked up and was like, this is cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that angle, I guess, probably is uh, is not one that I can pursue as much. Well, I mean, I hate but, to break it to you, but when I owned it, I also did not know a whole lot about Airsoft, so... <laughs> well, yeah, there you go. Um, yeah. You know, and, like, I definitely feel a lot better about 
uh, weird corner case guns than I used to at this point. Like, and honestly, I think this season has been a lot of like what's helped me there. So um, there's probably more stuff that I'd be willing to mess around with at this point than would have been the case previously. I'm not big into the idea of running um, anything I can't HPA unless it's something I really, really like at this point. Um, I'm really super into that as a, as a mechanism for operating these things um, for a whole bunch of reasons that we've already talked about enough, I guess, for this year. But, um, you know, the Garand is sort of my, my, my big exception there, you know. But, like, I've been uh, working on rehabilitating <laughs> that AUG, and, like, every time I tinker with it, I'm like, this actually is sort of an okay gun and could probably be made to perform reasonably. That's cool. Um, and so it sort of reinforced for me, like my primary thinking about airsoft guns and whether or not, uh, I or anyone else should like purchase and or run a specific one is just, if you really, really like it, you can probably at least sort of make it work. Um, you know, there are probably exceptions, um, the more proprietary something is, the worse it is generally. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, honestly, like even the, uh, even the grand, like if I'm being honest with you from a, uh, practical airsoft point of view, it's a terrible thing to buy. Uh, it has a bunch of proprietary parts. It, um, is difficult to take apart, difficult to do maintenance on, difficult to work on. Uh, I have almost nothing positive to say about it other than as a stock gun, it runs shockingly well. And I'm really happy about that because I don't want to work on it. <laughs> yeah, totally, um, totally. You know, uh, now, as soon as we set the practical aspects aside, like the degree to which uh, I get to be the cool kid just because I show up with it is awesome. Like every single airsoft player who I have run into uh, since I bought it, when I brought it to a game, has been like, holy shit, can I play with that? Can I run it? Can I uh, cuddle it? Like, you yeah. know, it's a very cool and unique piece of gear. And there are loads of your softers who are, you know, who are, if you will, into it. Um, and that aspect of it has been tremendous fun. Uh, it's caused a lot of conversation and a lot of enjoyment. But like from a practical, <laughs> should you buy this? <sighs> You know, um, so I think I've probably overcomplicated answering that question no, as that's, is my want. That's fair. I mean, I, I think as well from from my standpoint, like when I think about it the other way, like features that that guns have that are deal breakers, like anything that is you know cool guy feature for me, like I, I we see, used to see this a lot more, but like magwells that are decorated like skulls. Um, rail cutter rails that are decorated like dragon's teeth, like all that kind of stuff. Like that is, that holds like so little appeal to me. Like I, you know, in the same way that I want a metal body because it's functional and it's rugged, I don't want any extra crap on the gun that is going to, yeah, sure, make it look cooler, but potentially impede something. Like if you think about like the wire cutter teeth or whatever, like that gets snagged on stuff. Like why? Like, what, oh, yeah. what is the purpose is, of that? Phil is absolutely team, like, practical, um, quote-unquote, mil-spec airsoft guns. Yeah, and to be um, honest, like, I'm not fussed whether it's M4 or even an AK. Like, I think, you know, you look at um, 
like an AK with a rail or an AK with just a regular hand shield like they have or AK with like the uh, the foregrip, that weird uh, foregrip attachment or whatever, which actually I, I found out recently serves a purpose. It's shaped like that to not impede the rocking of the magazines when you're doing a reload, which... Oh, that yeah. makes sense. Great. Not, not that I'd ever thought of it, but like now that you say it, yeah, all right. Yeah, so all that, you know, it's all cool and it's functional and that's fine. But as soon as you start like putting stuff on an airsoft gun, for my money, that is just um, cosmetic and nothing else. Like immediately I'm like, eh, I'm not, that's not going to be for me. Like it's, it's not where I'm naturally going to gravitate. Like it's really uh, function for me. It's function over form. Absolutely. Every single time. So. Yeah, I definitely mostly agree. I have the one uh, the one exception, I guess, that is always there for me, which is I do have a really soft spot for the 203s, even though I know they're not at all practical. Like, I think they look badass. That's Yeah, that's legit. Especially the one that you had, because it, it was like a full-size one. Like, a lot of guys now have, like, the 3D printed ones or whatever that are minimalistic, and that's all function. But the form, you're right, of the 203 is kind of cool. Yeah, like I, um, you know, in a <laughs> in a vacuum where uh, airsoft isn't at any kind of risk uh, due to legal stuff, and where I have all the money I want to spend on airsoft, neither of which is ever going to be true, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. well, the first one might be hopefully, but like, uh, you know, there, there's no world where I'm ever going to have like enough money to drop uh, several thousand dollars on a random airsoft build that I know I won't use that much, mm-hmm. but like I would absolutely love to rebuild aesthetically uh the carbine that i used to use with the underslung 203 and then hpa it now practically that's like two thousand dollars including the shells <laughs> for a gun that will be heavy and not any more effective than in fact probably less effective than the m27 so like that's not happening yeah. <laughs> um but it's definitely in my opinion the most badass gun i've rocked visually i would agree um, with that 100 percent and you know, like I definitely, again, you know, I'm not going to go uh, trade in the M27 body uh, and get on that or anything silly, but I definitely do think it was an extremely cool airsoft gun. Yeah, 100%. I, I can't agree with you more. And I think about, you know, um, how people would react if you showed up at the field with that that gun today and it would be very much the same way that people react when they see like a, a 249 or a machine gun they're like oh my god there's a guy with a grenade launcher even though we know that you know it's a glorified shotgun and yet you know people look at it and go oh i gotta be careful like they're that's whole psychological aspect right i mean you're dead on it's a glorified shotgun but it's a very threatening looking yeah. glorified shotgun yeah, legit. <laughs> um and like that is a factor um you know, I know from experience that like it ultimately probably doesn't pan out to being worthwhile. Although I can't say I didn't have a ton of fun with it. Um, you know, the primary reason that I I got out of um, running the two four or not the two running the two hundred threes uh, is just how expensive the grenades were to operate and maintain and purchase um, at uh, like a CO two pressure. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, that was allowing them to be sort of field effective at uh, anything other than like a really CQB kind of range, um, you know, and like in a CQB environment, like they were absolutely devastating, really, you know, like guaranteed, you know, <laughs> like if I come around the corner uh, and am in that situation I was talking about earlier where like, you know, Matt needs to drop his dot on me and pull the trigger and I need to drop to 
pull the trigger a couple of times. Well, the 203 eliminates that problem because I just pop around the corner, <laughs> pull the trigger, and it doesn't really matter where the dot is. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, uh, I feel like at some point my opponents uh, are probably going to stop appreciating being flacked with one of those things uh, sort of at random. And that sounds like a them problem. <laughs> I mean, fair um, to some extent, but like the hilarity of doing that, notwithstanding, um, you know, the answer of find a new uh, hand grenade and use that in exactly the same context is probably equally viable. Yeah. Yeah. So what can you do? But like, I do have a big soft spot for those, um, you know, in terms of features that like I can't live without at this point. Um, you know, I want to say HP, <laughs> but it's probably not true. Um, you know, I can live without uh, a, stag- a staggering amount of, of the features on airsoft guns. Um, I like having full auto available. Um, not really because I use it to shoot at people a lot, unless it's the default option, uh, but because on an AEG, it allows me to clear jams. Um, so an AEG that's semi-locked is definitely an AEG that concerns me a little. Um, and like, if I know it has some sort of mechanism to ameliorate that, it bothers me less. That's fair. Yeah, it doesn't have to be full auto either. The burst would be fine, I'm sure. Oh yeah, anything that will allow me to just get out of that... Um, state where semi sometimes jams on their soft gun yeah so listen one last gear change and then we'll uh, we'll wrap up the episode uh but so one last question that i think is um it's it's a more serious question but i think it's it's a good one and i think it's something that we've talked about before a little bit um but anyways so the question is if the rules don't specifically some say that something is not allowed should you assume it is allowed or not allowed and I think there's some complexity to the que- this question, but it's a question that, as an airsofter, we really should be thinking about this question critically or this aspect critically, because not every single situation will necessarily have a rule written about it, right? So, I mean, it's weird because I think that <laughs> I have what I feel is an effective answer to that right off the cuff. And I don't know that it's actually effective, but I certainly feel like it is, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is that's cool and all. Um, The correct solution, in my opinion, is usually uh, think about whether or not what you're trying to do is fun for you and for your opponent. Because like if you're if you're going, oh, you know, like I want to do insert cool thing here, it's probably okay. Uh, if the thing is exploiting the game rules in some way that gives you an advantage that the person who was designing the game probably didn't think of. And like, I know that's subjective, but it's also use your common sense. <laughs> uh, I get a lot more inclined to ear on the side of, yeah, use your common sense. Like, don't be foolish. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've heard you say for sure before is if it feels like cheating, it probably is. And yep. that's, I, that's one of the really big ones. Like, yeah. you know, if, if what you're doing feels like it is giving you an unintended advantage. Yeah. Um, all Jared is in fact giving you an unintended advantage. Yeah. And I think just to back up here, the intent of this question wasn't necessarily to address like safety issues, right? So if you have a piece of equipment, for example, a pyro grenade, and you're not sure if it's allowed or not, you should not assume at all ever. You should check 
with the refs and the other players to make sure that this piece of equipment that you're going to use that could potentially harm someone is okay to use. And I don't think that yeah, was the intent of this question. If you've brought question. new kit. Yeah, like if you've brought new kit, that's definitely a thing. Yeah. But like I was, I'm thinking more in terms of, so like, uh, you know, nowhere does it say I can't pick up this piece of cover that co protects me from head to toe and walk forward with carrying it. Um, well, that's probably not the intent of the person who set up the play for you. Yeah. And like, am I going to say, oh yeah, that's cheating? No. Am I going to say that feels like kind of uh, invariably a thing that might be funny once, but is otherwise probably going to end up being mm, kind of a dick move? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember many years ago we ran an op where one of the team's uh, went through like the radio channels and found the other team's channels and and listened, right? And we didn't specifically say in the rules that that was not allowed. Um, but it certainly wasn't part of our intent for the design of I the mean, game. I mean, and, I remember being super pissed off about that because yeah. my, my answer to that is like, yeah, we didn't say you couldn't do that. Um, but it's also like visibly a dishonorable, disingenuous thing to be doing in a game that is exclusively about honorable play. Like if I can't trust the people I'm playing with uh, to be playing honorably in yourself, then it's kind of moot, isn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's so many of those situations that can occur that, you know, you have as a game organizer, especially you haven't necessarily considered because it hasn't crossed your mind. Like for me, like before, when we would play games, we would always communicate to each other which channel we were on to avoid getting on each other's channels, right? So I remember distinctly back in like 20, 2009, 2010, you know, like Mitch Carroll would walk down to his spawn with his team and I just, I'd shout at him, I was like, oh, we're on channel six. And he's like, cool, we're on channel five, right? Because in our minds, we're like, okay, we want to make sure that we're not listening and or being on each other's channels. But all it takes is for someone from the outside to not to come in and not know that that's a rule and genu you know, genuinely or exploitatively, you're in a situation now where, oh, like now there's something that's occurring that people aren't aligned on, right? And like, to me, this is really funny because I've been talking about um, this in a, in a entirely separate context a whole bunch lately. Uh, with a couple of my friends, which is sort of like talking about, okay, so like, how do we set expectations for uh, coming to a table to play pen and paper RPGs? And, um, you know, what do we do about the fact that uh, in one of the groups I play in, we have a bunch of longstanding assumptions that have been made, <laughs> such as, you know, um, to use your early example, right, in the same way that we've we had an assumption of just like, yeah, you, you would use the radio to communicate with each other. And like, we actually want to know what channel we are on. So A, we can avoid it. And so that B, if we need to break gameplay for some reason, we can pop onto the other team's channel. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, so like, come on. Um, but yeah, like, what do you do if someone shows up and they don't know the norms and you haven't talked about them? Uh, and so there's a lot of like risk in making assumptions there. And it's one of the reasons that I tend to advocate for, like, at Frontline, you know, I, I want the ref, whoever is the ref, to go over the rules with everyone at the beginning of the day, every day, even if it's the same people. Because if there's one guy who hasn't been there before, uh, and he doesn't know that 
he isn't allowed to blind fire and he just you know does the you know he's played a lot of gears of war right he does the <laughs> yeah. pop the gun up over the terrain and hose thing well you know i, I guess it's less of a concern now because we have the uh the face protectors, but like for a really long time, one of my concerns there was, yeah, because if I'm like a foot away, you're going to break my teeth and I'm going to be really angry with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now it's like, if you're a foot away, I'm going to have to like, you know, pop a BB out of my face with a pocket knife and be really angry with you, which is equally not great. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, maybe not equally. The, my face is, uh, is not in need of any more tenderizing. <laughs> so I think when I think about these kinds of situations, bottom line, I think, and you mentioned it earlier, I think, if you're in a situation where you're about to do something and your first thought is, well, the rules don't say I'm not allowed to do this. And the thing that you're about to do is going to give you some sort of meaningful, like tremendously meaningful advantage. My recommendation would be double check with someone to make sure that the thing that you're going to do is actually kosher or not. Right. Yeah, I mean, like the rules in Airsoft generally, uh, you know, at places I've played, don't spell out that I can't sit 30 feet from the enemy spawn and just murk everyone who, as they spawn back in. But obviously, A, I can't, and B, if I could, it would be ruining the game. <laughs> or, I mean, another thing that, that I've seen before is players will carry multiple airsoft replicas with them on the field and they may leave them in a position. I know I've done that before where like I was using your 249 and then I decided that I wanted to switch to my, my this is no longer advantageous time to swap it out. Yeah. There's nothing in the rule that says another player can't come and pick up your 249 because I left it there. Right. But you certainly cannot do that. That's somebody else's property. I was right? going to say, like, there's nothing in the rules that says you can't do that. But boy, howdy, should you not be doing that unless you're on my team? Yeah, exactly. Right? Right. And like, that's not a, and, and when I say on my team, I don't mean on my team in the game. I mean, wearing a Stormrider patch, right? Yeah. And like, that's universal. And it's probably, I would assume, universally accepted. It's never know? been talked about in the safety brief. We've never, but, ever discussed it with anyone to say, if you find a rifle on the field, you, and it's not yours, don't pick it up. Right. I mean, we definitely did have conversations about that stuff, like back in the Redcliffe days, mm-hmm. um, in the sense that, like, partly, you know, um, we had uh, we ran some scenarios where, uh, including the scenario we were talking about, where people uh, listened in on radio channels, like where people could uh, be taken prisoner, mm-hmm. and one of the rules that we implemented there was like, you know, don't be taking people, quote unquote, prisoner and taking their gear because you wouldn't appreciate it if we did that to you. Like, you know, these are expensive toys and probably people are going to be concerned about other guys grabbing them. Um, But, you know, it, I think partly like, you know, when we were playing at Redcliffe, it was a small enough group that pretty much everyone who knew me knew whether or not I'd be okay with them taking my rifle (laughs) on on an individual basis. Yeah. Well, totally. (laughs) Right. And so, you know, there's, there's so many scenarios that can happen at a game that, a safety brief is not necessarily going to cover and the game rules may not cover either. Like, are you allowed to climb a tree? Are you not allowed to climb a tree? Are you allowed to climb, you know, the outside of a, of a two-story structure and get in through a window? Are you not allowed to do that, right? Are you allowed to pretend that you are dead in order to shoot an opponent, right? Is that clearly written in the rules? Because if it's not written in the rules and you do that and someone's like, well, I didn't, nothing said I couldn't do that. Like all of that sort of can amount to situations that lead to tension, crappy behavior, et cetera. And so 
Yeah, I mean, that one to me feels like a really great example of what I was talking about, right? There, nowhere in the rules does it say I can't pretend I'm hit and then shoot you. No, but like it's visibly, obviously bending the rules in a way that involves lying to your opponent about your state in a game that has no way to track it and that is based on an honor system. So yeah. like... <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I would... To, to answer the question directly, like should you assume that it's not allowed or that it is allowed? I mean, if I had to pick one, I would just assume that it's not allowed. Never Assume that whatever you're about to do is not allowed until you verify it with a game. If it, it has to be one of those two, I think the situation is a bit more gray than that, as we've talked about. Um, but I think that in, in a in a global sense, if more players assume their behavior was not allowed and didn't do it, that would lead to games that are potentially more fun overall. Maybe not fun for you in that moment where you were about to do something super duper cool, potentially. Um, but overall would certainly lead to fewer frustrating situations. No doubt about that in my mind. And like, I think it's also a situation where, um, yeah, where you're right to say, yeah, if, if you're thinking about this and going, oh, I don't know, like if I should do X, Y, or Z, the answer is probably if you're unsure, err on the side of no ask a ref. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, because usually that's kind of the point of having them there. Yeah, uh, and if your if your immediate thought is, but if I ask a ref, they're gonna say no. Well, then you definitely shouldn't do that thing. Yeah, like, yeah, you <laughs> congratulations, you have succeeded at uh, your litmus test, and the answer was no. Yeah. Um, oops. The other kind of recurring piece, I think, is like you know, if you don't have a ref, if you're playing at a field where it's you know you and the folks who play there, and it's not a not a quote unquote formal airsoft situation. Um, note to self play a game in a, in a talks next season um, the uh, outcome should definitely be don't do it after the game talk about it and decide as a group whether or not you should have done it yeah um, you know and again it's it's one of those things where like you know uh, um, picking up a piece of cover and moving it forward while one of your teammates is with you and firing from behind it is hilarious once um, but demonstrably does not want to be or become the normal way you play. Um, yeah, absolutely agreed. You know, and like another reasonable, uh, approach is thinking, would this grind my gears if my opponent were the one doing it to me? Like, would I be cheesed off if I were on the opposite side of this? You know, like, uh, to use a recurring one, like nowhere in the rules at Frontline does it say that you're not allowed to show up with a combat shield and stand behind it and fire your, uh, you know, SMG, LMG, whatever, around it. But like, you're visibly cheating. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're and... not going to open. We're not going to open the can of worms of uh, of combat shields. I know some of the guys on the Discord. Uh, do tend to like their combat shields, and I'm not going to hold it against them, but it's certainly not something that uh, I have very I mean, fond memories of <laughs> at our I mean, field, that's I, for sure. I mean, and like, it's fine to like them, it's fine to use them, but if you show up and there are no rules about them and you're using one, then there's a problem yeah. because they don't fall within, you know, what I would call the generally normalized state of play of Airsoft. Um, you know, 
it's it's not about not using the thing. It's about having a conversation about what it is, what it does, and how we are okay with you using it, right? Yeah, very true. And I think um, that's I think that's the 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 most important bit of all of that is if the rules don't specifically say it is allowed or not allowed or whatever, having that conversation to get aligned on what the rules should be or what you're thinking versus what com- your community is thinking uh, or your your playgroup or whatever, um, that will make a really big difference. And like I said, like ultimately the point of all of this is to make sure everyone has a good time. That's why we're there, right? And so if your fun is going to ruin someone else's fun in a way that's beyond like, oh, you won and they lost, like beyond that, they feel like they've been offended or slighted in some way, then obviously that's not going to be, that's not going to be the way to go. But if someone's going to walk away angry, don't do it. Yeah, exactly right. So guys, that is it. That is it for 2022. That is it for Call Your Hits 2022. Uh, it's been an outstanding year. We've uh, you know hit the 100 episode milestone this year, which is pretty big. It was pretty big for us. I'm very glad that we made it. Um, and we're not stopping. 2023 is going to continue. We're going to have you know weekly, approximately weekly podcasts for you, uh, continuing every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts. As always, uh, I can't encourage you to join the Discord community enough. Uh, If you haven't done it already, it is a great place. It is a place where we have really good discussions, really good conversations. There is no toxicity allowed. Everybody is so supportive, so friendly. Uh, And right now we are uh, designing our community patch, which will uh, be voted on by the community and go into production uh, in the new year. I mentioned this in the previous episode before. Uh, So get uh... in there, get looking at the patches, cast your vote. um, And thank you so much for listening to us. Thank you so much for hanging out with us over the last uh, over the last year. And since we started the podcast back in 2020, Um, it's really awesome to know how many of you are out there listening to us. Um, it is unbelievable to know how many of you are out there listening to us. Like it's wicked. I love it. Yeah. And we're so grateful to be here for you and we can't wait to keep making more of these, uh, for you in the new year. But until that time, uh, we want to wish you very happy holidays, Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate, uh, in your part of the world. Thank you so much for listening and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Have a safe and excellent holiday season. And uh, I just want to say a shout out to everyone who made up a a patch for the contest. Uh, I genuinely want all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers, everyone.